0: And welcome once again to Center Left Radio, the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz. My name is Richard Gazer, and as always, I am pleased and I'm honored to be your host and your commentator for another of our commentary shows. One of the shows that we have up on air, online, well, I guess more appropriately, Uh, up as a podcast or what we call a radio loop. If you go to our website, www.centerlefttalkradio.com, you'll have the choice. There'll be two links. One will give you what we call our radio loop. That means you'll be listening to this show, and you are listening to this show right now, because you picked it up wherever in the show the radio loop happened to have been. And, of course, you have the more traditional route you can go as well, uh, which is a podcast. That's the second link on our homepage. Uh, recently, we had a, uh, we did a show, and uh, the response to it was, was quite good. It was about the third, I don't remember, it was the third or the fourth in a series of shows that we refer to as Noble Hearts Panels. I guess this last one was done around, I guess, maybe two weeks ago, in in January. And the topic at that time was the future of American democracy. The panel basically is a group of guys uh, who I went to high school with. And they're all real smart, and they're really good at talking about things like what uh, we're going to talk about today, certainly like what American democracy's future might have been. But... uh, recognizing where things are right now, uh, we we basically left off that last discussion saying that we were going to do the next one of these, that when we all got together, we were going to do one on education. And, and that seemed like a good idea at the time, except that uh, things have gotten rather interesting, had been interesting, have gotten more interesting. Uh, vis-a-vis uh, Vladimir Putin's activities uh, relative to the Ukraine. Uh, of late, I, I gather he's got something like 70,000 troops. The Americans have committed to or have sent 5,000 into Eastern Europe. Everybody is building up. Putin says he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to invade, but he keeps putting troops there. And, and you have most of the American media, at least, uh taking positions on the relative uh, acceptability of Mr. Putin's position it used to be that uh politics stopped at the water's edge when you were talking about international relations uh, that's no longer the case obviously in this country uh, so i have a i have a group of guys uh, all but two of whom no no three of whom i'm sorry have been panelists here before with center left radio you are familiar I am sure, with Dr. Charles Webbel, who is uh, currently professor and guarantor of the School of International Affairs at the State University of New York in Prague, Uh, a five-time Fulbright scholar. I think Charles has published somewhere in the range of about 13 books, many, if not most, which deal in issues of war and peace. He's now working on volume two of his three-book trilogy, modestly entitled, The Fate of this World and the Future of Humanity, whatever could that be about. And he's also working on a novel known as Academia, that's three K's in Academia. Uh, Somehow I feel that that might uh, blend or have something to do with the fate of the world and the future of humanity as well, but we'll get to that in a bit. Uh, Jerry Moran, who has not been on this panel before, uh, majored uh, in history at BC, Boston College, went on to get his PhD from Cornell in beautiful Ithaca, New York, uh, which has as its marketing logo this year. Ithaca is gorgeous. Jerry, you can appreciate that. Uh, he went on with uh, to get his PhD in history at Cornell, and uh, that subject was based on research that he carried out in France, where he met his future spouse who was Dutch, moved to the Netherlands in the 70s, worked in book and journal publishing for many years as publisher of historical source materials on microfiche, he adds, uh, and did that for many, many research libraries in Europe, North America, Australia, and Japan. I would only hasten to add he and I grew up uh, one building apart in a New York City housing project. Uh, you can Gather for yourself how far back that might have been, I ain't telling. Uh, beyond that, we have uh, Tom, well, Tom Gallagher, and, and Tom is, uh, I think, uniquely suited to this panel. I'll say nothing more about Tom at the moment, except that he was working as an official observer to elections in Ukraine, Russia, and Belarus. I think that would really give you an idea of where his expertise might lie. Bill Mulligan, uh, for those of you who have listened to our uh, to our panels earlier. Uh, you know Bill quite well at this point. Professor Emeritus at Murray State University uh, has taught U.S. and world history courses, and perhaps most relevant today's dis- to today's discussion, U.S. military history for the last 20 years. I think that might give you a sense of where uh, uh, Bill's thought processes, if not uh, his, uh, the, full, the full scope of his contributions, might be today. He's the author of several books and dozens of scholarly articles and presentations. A Fulbright scholar in Ireland has just received a Hibernian Research Award from the Cushwa Center at the University of Notre Dame to support his research on the Irish diaspora. Uh, Charles uh, has invited and brought with him today a very uh, welcomed guest, let's call him a guest panelist, Ivan Saballo is a Russian citizen and a forensic psychology PhD student and assistant lecturer at the University of Central Lancashire. Uh, The focus of his research, and this again should give you a a good idea of where Ivan's uh, uh, points of contribution and points of view may be today, is aggressive behavior, specifically how aggression-supportive cognitions become actions his other research interests include statistical analysis, conspiracy theories, and history. I, I, I think we've got uh, quite a bit to work with when it comes to dealing with whatever it is that uh, Mr. Putin is doing. Um, he seems to be posed for war. That would be the, the straight-on, head-on view of it. And the question, besides what is he doing, is how concerned should America be about it? And, and, and what should we be doing? Uh, Tom Gallagher, could you respond to any part of that or all of it? All of it. Um... Okay,
1: I you know I wish uh, I believed uh, as much as I think uh, you sound like you uh, believe, Rich, that politics no longer uh, stops at water's edge. Uh, <laughs> I think it does. Uh, unfortunately, if you look at uh, um, the role of uh, Victoria Newland, um, who is now number three in the State Department, uh, when she was in the State Department before. Uh, under the Obama administration, yeah, um, she was known for her dabbling in the internal politics of uh, Ukraine. She's famous for you know the, her phone conversations
0: were leaked. Uh, she's famous for one phrase: "Fuck the EU." Um, <laughs> that's, and, that's 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 that that's an interesting basis for fame. Yes, uh, I would yeah, say.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And was formerly foreign policy advisor to Dick Cheney. Uh, when they were in the process of concocting a basis for war in, in Iraq. Yeah. Uh, so I wish uh, it wor- there weren't a bipartisan consensus on foreign policy, but I'm afraid I, I think it, it's still there.
0: Okay. Uh, you, okay. You're
1: quite right on the. the there are separate questions here. Yeah. And uh, what is what's going on there? Why is Vladimir Putin doing what he's doing? What's the back history of it? And really, most importantly for us. Um, is there an American role in this? And we, you know, the, the press jumps at this. It is assumed mm-hmm. that we must do something. And we are, you know, we live in this illusion that we're in, at peace, first off, right? In the past week, since you invited us on this, our, our troops have been engaged in ground action in Syria. And Uh, We have bombed Yemen. Yes. That's just last week. And this, is this a a thought in American politics? No, it's just, it's, it's just the norm. Um, There's an assumption that it is our duty, our right to intervene in this situation um, in, in Ukraine. Um, Andrew Basiewicz, who I will laud later if there's a moment and tell people why they all have to read him, um, said it very well uh, in a a recent book that he he thought that uh, as far as NATO went, we should have declared a mission accomplished and left long ago. NATO existed as a counter to the war, uh, it existed as a counter to the Soviet Union. It does no longer exist. Why is there a NATO? Because military alliances have to find reasons to go on. Uh, I have much
0: more to. Okay, to no, say. no, no, and but I and I and, I, and I, I hope you'll have you know, a chance you know, to you know say idea. it.
2: Comment, comment on uh,
0: Jerry Jerry I, Moran, please. I, yeah.
2: I, uh, yeah, Jerry Moran uh, uh, in Amsterdam. Uh, I agree with everything Tom has just said and I would just to go back to the initial question what is Vladimir Putin doing you phrase that as if the ball is over there uh, you could could just as easily and it, it sort of uh, uh, picks up on what Tom was saying about the, the United States role in the world since the end of the Second World War uh, it, you could start with what does the United States think it's doing and, uh, right.
0: Yeah. Well, like I say, part of the question that I posed to Tom was, uh, "What should we? What are we doing? What should we be doing?" And uh, Ivan, you have a point. I think you want to make. Yeah.
3: Uh, yeah. So it's Ivan here. I'm pretty much agreeing with the previous speakers, and to slightly elaborate on what Professor Moran was saying is, from Russian perspective, what Vladimir Putin is doing is he's trying to make sure that when Gorbachev signed, uh, Gorbachev agreed for the cessation of NATO expansion. There was no written document. What uh, our one and only God, is Vladimir Putin, is doing now is he's trying to get the written guarantee of that. And to, so it's kind of weaves in what was said about the NATO, why is the NATO still happening if there is no Soviet Union? And to be fair, in terms of Russian media, depending on which obviously side of media you look, but a more centrist to left media is making a simple point. Look. NATO said they are against Soviet Union. There is no more Soviet Union. What's there? Well, obviously, NATO is there against Russia. And that's pretty much how majority of Russians would feel. So, uh, and to uh, last point on all of this, for Russians, again, from media mostly, and also in academic discourse, it's not really a Russia-Ukrainian conflict. It's either a Ukraine conflict, like a Cuban missile crisis, or it's a Russia-U.S. conflict. Everyone seems to assume, and probably rightly so, that Ukraine is a puppet state. That's pretty much it—a puppet state of the West. Uh yeah, U.S.
0: Well, Charles, please. Yeah,
2: well, who, who, who can tell us more about uh, about the Ukraine? Because I, I read a, a number of things that, and, and I was listening to a podcast that I, uh, for the second time earlier uh, today. Uh, by uh, with an interview with uh, Katrina van der Funderhurville, who was the uh, editor and publisher of the Nation uh, magazine, yeah. and uh, she was talking uh, in the interview. Uh, Doug Henwood was talking about uh, that the government of the Ukraine is is full of neo neo Nazis. I don't know how even is nodding so, uh, you So know, how how true is that? And should the United States or anybody really be getting involved with a, a regime like that. Uh, okay. That's just what I wanted to do. I, I don't know. In enough
0: about uh,
4: Setting ourselves up for our classic Bill Mulligan. Yeah, go ahead. Our classic failure by assuming first that Russians can't be our friends, that Russia can, we can't somehow have a working relationship with Russia that is positive on both sides. And second, that they're they're sort of the enemy of our enemy is our friend. I mean, that somehow the Ukraine uh, deserves our support because they're threatened, or at least we've convinced ourselves they're threatened by Russia. So we have to rush in. And, you know, (laughs) my question, and and I really want to know, what is the United States' strategic interest? in anything that happens in the Ukraine. That's where we started this off, yeah. How is this going to affect the United States' basic fundamental interests? And Mm -hmm. I, I really think we have to be careful that we don't back another government that really does not serve its people well. We've done it too often in the past. Too many Americans have died defending uh corrupt and tyrannical governments and we really need to take a deep breath and ask some hard questions about why charles
0: webble Mm -hmm. some thoughts yeah i would say as someone who
5: spent a great deal of time (laughs) in ukraine and russia 20 years ago but stopped returning about 10 years ago to play uncharacteristically the role of devil's advocate Let me take the position of the U.S. foreign policy establishment, at least in its mainstream dimensions. First, the strategic interests in Ukraine extend beyond the military and political spheres to also the ideological and business spheres. The military sphere is creating an ex post facto, meaning ex post-Soviet Union justification and rationale for the continuance of NATO and of blocks in general, which leads to the second, which is the fear of the domino effect, about which some of us remember was a pseudo-rationale for the Vietnam War. That is, if Ukraine falls, the Baltic states are next, and soon they'll literally be at my doorstep here in Prague. So we gotta show strength and be resolute where the stakes are actually the lowest, which is Ukraine, precisely because it's not a NATO member, in order to prevent an escalation where the stakes are the greatest, namely surrounding countries that are NATO members. And the third is that business is business, as there's a huge debate now in the German media, uh, a sample of which was published today in the New York Times about the invisibility of the new German Chancellor Olaf Scholz because of his apparent waffling over providing nothing more than helmets, literally, uh, to the Ukrainian Defense Force. But that's business is business. Ukraine would lose a great deal of business if Nord Stream 2 were operationalized. And so would Ukrainian oligarchs and um, the plutocrats who still run the country. Uh, But Russia would lose some business if Nord Stream 2 is discontinued, and so would Germany. And frankly, I wouldn't have heat in my apartment. So a third interest is in a way to maintain the status quo. And the status quo is good business for almost everyone, including Ukraine and including Russia.
4: So okay. If it's good business for Russia, why is Putin pushing the envelope? How do you know he is? Well, we, you can see that. Well, um, I mean, I, I look at the aerial photographs. I'm not sure why you would have to have that many Russian troops.
5: In and, and look at good, the good point, Bill. A good point. Yeah. it's true. Yeah,
2: yeah. It's been largely forgotten. And uh, as Katrina von der Heuvel was uh, saying uh, in this podcast I referred to, that uh, there's, there's been a lot of funding, and I don't know how much of it is above board and how much of it is uh, clandestine by the U.S. and other, other Western uh, powers, uh, funding of uh, not only the military but uh, kind of insurgent groups in the Ukraine. I don't know, I can't confirm whether that's true or not, but it, it, it it's something that's out there. Uh, behind that is the whole, one of the reasons for keeping NATO in, in existence was perhaps to uh, because of the military-industrial complex in the United States and, and everything that and that's a big part of the US economy the US military is the largest in the world it's also parad- uh, parenthetically the largest polluter in the world and and that has to be kept fueled and the way to do that is to constantly have enemies and to uh, uh, so the, the militarization of Europe and of, uh, and of Eastern Europe is, is part of that too so that's business, As usual, perhaps, Uh,
0: I just put that out there. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I, Ivan, you were about to make a point,
3: please. Uh, yeah, uh, since Professor Erbil is playing the devil's advocate for the U.S. establishment, let me try to be pretend to be the Russian establishment, <laughs> without the accent, though, as much as I can. Uh, <laughs> because yeah, what was said earlier about, for instance, uh, the press secretary Nuland, in Russia she's been shown to be part of the initial Maidan protest. The official state narrative is that the uh, Maidan protest and the was a legitimate process the president who resigned he didn't resign from impeachment or because he was deemed mentally unfit it was essentially a coup where the government was changed and now is run by certain number of people who have very right wing ideology including for instance uh, rehabilitation of a non-nazi collaborator Bandera, who was working with the nazis during the second world war but now mm-hmm. is a state hero in ukraine for russians for whom the Second World War is still the only, let's say, it's more than just a memory, it's more of a a moment when the Soviet nation was formed, and still a lot of people have, it's pretty much the same attitude as in U.S., I would think, the attitude towards the war of independence with British. For the Russians, even today, the memory of the Second World War is even, might be even greater, because it was either we survive or there will be none. And because of the behavior in Ukraine with Nazi collaborations, collaborators being reestablished as national heroes, Russians don't like it. And it also feeds into the narrative of, okay, everything in Ukraine has been orchestrated by the first moment by the United States, because United States does have a history of installing Nazi regimes or pro-Nazi right-wing regimes to fight USSR or Russia hence again majority of russian people would believe that because that kind of seems to fit the puzzle and now mm. the narrative is okay look what they're doing they're trying to press on us they're trying to establish a NATO basis we have to do something and to be fair russia is moving their troops around their borders or within their uh, the borders of their allies meanwhile united states is much have their troops much farther from their home country than russia does
0: well, it's, that's always been the case when it comes to Russian affairs, obviously. But but if I'm hearing everything that I'm hearing, and Tom, I want to get back. You had some other points you wanted to make, but I just want to just kind of sum up what I'm hearing so far. Essentially, the reality of the 70,000 Russian troops in Belarus, in Ukraine, wherever they can stage them right now, you guys generally would, would, would have, be of the position that it's just not really something that America should be jumping into or being re- excited or reactive to, and that we're overreacting to that reality. Is that, is that a fair summation of where you guys, generally, I'm hearing the, the, the rest of the panel is at right now, we're overreacting.
3: Uh, i am uh, sorry for jumping in again but i think this is like very like very interesting question because if we assume the politics is regarding any kind of morality or ethical ju- or justice yeah well united states wants to push on russia and get as much resources out of russia as they can russia wants to do the same with the united states right. so within the modern politics how they are happening within the very much cloak and dagger capitalistic run politics everyone is doing what they're supposed to do if we're trying to look at this, whether this should be happening at all, probably no from both sides.
4: I think Charles made a good point. I think this is being driven by the need for the military to to have an enemy. The, Ameri- the just, American military to the have American an enemy. military. Yeah, how do yeah, we justify yeah. the huge expenditure of resources? Um, at, at a time when serious questions are being raised about equality in the country, the distribution of resources, I mean, you know, our, education, our infrastructure is crumbling. Our educational system is crumbling. Um, all of the things that we need for a really healthy future for our nation are underfunded because we spend an obscene amount of money on the military. And, you know, the questions are being getting to be raised not often enough. How can we say we can't afford the Build Back Better program for all of its faults? And I'm not going to justify that's the perfect program. But how can we say we can't afford that, but we can afford almost a trillion dollars of military spending?
6: <laughs>
4: and sure. I think they need an enemy. Um, it's almost like, you know, 1984, the constant war. They need an enemy. Uh, but um, and unfortunately, the, our generation, not, not Ivan, but the rest of us are of a generation where we were kind of brought up to fear the Soviets godless you know godless communism godless soviet union um and so it's, it's a convenient boogeyman and i live in here in the upper south there's a lot of resonance still with uh anti-russian slash soviet rhetoric a lot of people don't understand the difference
0: jerry moran i say you know, yeah.
2: it, 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 actually it was, it was my point about uh the, the need for uh an enemy uh <laughs> uh, uh <laughs> Yeah, it goes back before the Soviet—well, it goes back to the very beginning. The U.S. position, bipartisan, as Tom pointed out in the beginning, has uh, the default position has been anti-Russian since the revolution and maybe before. I mean, let's start with the revolution. The United States and a bunch of other Western powers intervened back in 1918, 1919, in, uh, I think uh, later President Herbert Hoover was involved. Winston Churchill may have been involved. I mean, it has been uh, an enemy it, it, identified as an enemy since way back to the to the origins of the yeah. of the Soviet uh, and the current Russian uh, state. Um, so yes, it uh, it goes back a long way, and it's got deep roots, and it's uh, it's something that we uh, Americans. Uh, uh, ought to think about really hard. And I, I know I, the mainstream media doesn't help because they they beat drums and they help with saber-rattling. And uh, that's got to
0: stop. How do you stop it, Jerry? How, what, what, what is well, the, what's the know, immediate of danger, danger of here? Yeah. Yeah. I
2: mean, if I, yeah. I have various articles I've uh, printed uh, from the Washington Post and uh, Le Monde and all that. Various people, including this, uh, for again to Katrina van der Heel, Uh uh, saying that it has to go through some sort of form of neutrality f- for Ukraine I think that that has to be and then uh, maybe the the Russians should give up something and and she ref- I didn't I didn't follow the situation that closely back in 2015 2016 when there was more active fighting there uh, but there was an agreement reached uh, called Minsk uh, two. Uh, which uh, effectively could have put an end to, to things. And it, it involved, I think, uh, okay, Russians withdrawing any special forces or whatever they had in the eastern Ukraine uh, in exchange for the uh, n- neutrality of the country. And uh, and uh, that the, the people in the Donbas, the Russian speaking minority, would uh, get uh, a far reaching form of um, uh, self determination or. Or whatever uh, yeah self-determination I guess w- while staying within the Ukraine uh, but that was for one reason or another uh, uh, not never implemented mm. it's just, things like that have to be revived and I think I mean the word Finlandization has come up I mean, it, some often used in a negative sense but I mean Finland, did okay <laughs> with being Finlandized. And uh, something like that uh, has to take place, I think. Or even, uh, I think Austria, a model, Austria after the Second World War was effectively made neutral. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think they, they're they in NATO at the moment. Um, I know, well, Finland certainly is not in, the, in NATO. They joined the Euro and the, and the EU, but they're, they're still not in NATO. Uh, Sweden is not in. There, is never as, as long said. It's, it's a neutral country. Switzerland, another example of a, a neutral country, uh, for the longest longest time. So yes, I think a way out is to sort of be realistic. And, and but just to come back to uh, something else, the, uh, the the divide. There are no vital interests, and the United States understands that. And, and nobody has really said black and white. We want Ukraine in the NATO. I, I think they've even said mm. probably uh, we don't want that. Uh, but they haven't said it hard enough. They haven't said black and white enough uh, to uh, to form some kind of guarantee uh, that the the Russians can uh, can accept. Um, but that's that's my point. Neutrality. What do we think about that?
0: Yeah, we, we've never been good Go. at that. Tom, Tom Gallagher, you had some other points you'd want to make earlier. Right yeah, point. I yeah, wanted to yeah.
1: uh, sort of, presumptuous to say wrap up, but return to uh, a point Jerry raised quite a while ago, the, the question of the nature of uh, Ukrainian politics, Ukrainian government. Um, I think we should be careful not to have caricatures here. Uh, I, I think the Ukrainian— uh, uh, Ukrainian politics goes all the way from the right-wingers you're talking about to people who have your quote-unquote uh, democratic ideals, the same way we do. I think it's a big uh, stretch there, um, and to say it's just one or the other is not quite right. But the point, you know, again, for, for Americans, we were involved in a in a coup uh, in 2014. Uh, that president was driven from office. And, you know, the play coup that we had uh, in this country last year should at least give people a taste of the outrage uh, that one might legitimately have over that. Um, And before that, the Orange uh, Revolutions that went on, somebody said at one point quite well, I think, that the National Endowment of Democracy, which is, you know, who questions that in Washington, D.C.? Democracy uh, does now quite openly... What the CIA used to do covertly—they were involved in the business of changing other people's governments. Consider the level of outrage that would be going on in this country uh, if, to the, if, if that were had considered the rate, uh, rate of outrage about Russian apparent Russian interference on the internet uh, in the last election. Well, this was open. Okay. Um, and I don't know if anybody's followed this. You know, one of the questions is what is Russia trying to do in all of this? And there are some some obvious answers. I mean, they may be planning to invade. I don't think so, but I don't claim to know. Um, there was a, there were documents leaked on the U.S. Russian talks over this to the Spanish newspaper El Pais that you might have seen a few days ago, that gave some inkling of this and what was going on, in a sense that actually there probably is some progress in this. The idea that the U.S. would verify that there weren't offensive weapons being put into Romania and Poland. This is one thing that Russia is clearly interested in. Imagine, you remember the, you know, the Bay of Pigs, we're old enough to remember this, the outrage, the yeah. outrage yeah. that Russia yeah. would have missiles near yeah. us. yeah. Well, uh, they could put them back there now, uh, perhaps. If they did it if they did this, a base in Iran at this point, we would go nuts, but it has been done continuously to Russia uh, Jerry you know talked about it for a hundred years under under different forms of government. That is something that we have to perceive. Uh, and, you know, you raised the question, how do we change this in this country? Well, good luck. Uh, some of us have you know, been trying to do this for uh, half a century at this point. It ain't easy. Uh, but at least, you know, we need to try and see the facts of the matter from, from the other side of the mirror.
0: And we're going to take a break for a few minutes here and then come back with our panel, our very interesting panel on uh, Russian things these days. But first, um, I think this would be a great time to sort of lay back, think about much of what we've been hearing, and do it with a little jazz. Yeah, you know what's at stake. And I know, we all know, we can count on you. On behalf of all of us at Central F Radio, thank you. And we're back. We're listening to, you're listening. I'm, I'm, listen, I'm listening as well, but you're most certainly, I hope, listening to Center Left Radio, the progressive voice of Hope Politics and Jazz. We have another of our Noble Hearts forums, fora, hmm, underway. Uh, our uh, Regian uh, counterparts here include Bill Mulligan, Charles Webel, Jerry Moran, Tom Gallagher, yours truly, Rich Gazer. And we have a a, a guest. Let's, let's call him a, uh, an invited Regian. Even Sebelow is with us right now uh, uh, out of uh, the U.K., working in the U.K. right now, working on his doctorate in some very interesting areas of psychology. When last we uh, – the, the last we were talking about here, uh, we seem to have gotten – the panel seems to have be, be of the general opinion that what Russia is doing – Russia basically has a right to do and 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 uh, we may not agree with every bit of it and but whether we agree with it or not, it is being basically hyped up for American foreign interest purposes. It's being hyped up to basically support our right to have the military that we have. All of these things make make great sense i I, I want to throw a thought out though and to anyone and just pick up from here. The media has been so rich in this country in, in trying to retain the, the antipathy between Russia and the United States. Things have been a little rough over the last year or so. And, and Tom, I think the way you referred to it was I think, I think you, you, you would certainly not refer to what happened as an insurrection, I, I, I gather. Or, or what term would you have used for what happened last January 6th? In in uh, in 2020, how did you refer? it? Well, I
1: called it a play coup. Okay. I mean, All no right. one seriously thought the government was going to be right. overthrown. The, the, right. the right. nuts
0: there. Right. God
1: knows what they thought.
0: Is Russia's activity at this point? Does it have? Whether we whether we agree that Russia has a right to do it, and apparently we do, they can do what they want to do. Is there a negative impact on America structurally? as a result of what Russia is doing, whether or not we agree that Russia has a right to do it. Is something going bad? Is, are, is, is it a direct line? Are there, are there a couple of steps? Is what's happening in Russia hurting America for whatever reason? And, and, and obviously there's a reaction here. Is it a problem? Are we having problems because of this? Is it affecting our own governmental and political systems in a negative way? And if so, what should we be doing about it? Anyone? Or am I being too broad here? (laughs) Let's try that out.
2: Can I I say, uh, it's it's an enormous diversion. And uh, the United States, uh, I think Phil Mulligan, uh, early on, pointed out only the problems that that the, we as a country, uh, not only the United States, but uh, uh, every, everywhere, the, there are enormous problems of inequality, of uh, employment, of uh, tra- ecological transition, of continuing destruction of the environment by, among other uh, entities, the U.S. military. Uh, and uh, they are not being addressed. Right. And they have to be addressed. So this is is a lot of this... For uh, domestic consumption only to divert attention from the very urgent problems that uh, the United States and the world faces. Uh, I, I think it's it, 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 if it is, is it that, and I, th- I suspect that's what it's being used for. Uh, it, 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 it's very dangerous, and it's it's going to lead to uh, <laughs> what was the old song the. Uh, The Eve of Destruction.
5: (laughs) Anyway, okay. Uh, Charles, yes. I'd like to go back uh, two steps in order possibly to go one step forward. What if we're wrong? What if good old Volodya, whom I once had the dishonor of meeting, um, is the canny Machiavellian that some people believe him to be, and that he's working out a kind of chess match in which Ukraine is a big pawn, Georgia a smaller pawn, Moldova a minuscule pawn, in order to see how far he can go. In order to test the limits of what Westerners would consider to be Western resolve. And what if he finds, as he's already found out from Germany, that from his point of view, they're spineless. They're, to use the Chinese metaphor, a paper tiger. So why not take what you can get, call it a day, and come back again? What if, in fact, these troops are there for a militaristic purpose to expand the zone of influence for all of eastern Ukraine at a minimum, and possibly for central Ukraine as well. I think western Ukraine is out of its reach at the moment for all kinds of tactical and logistical reasons, but certainly Kiev is an easy hour drive from the Belarus border. What could or should the U.S. and the West do if, in fact, the worst happens? That's the question I would, Yvonne.
3: Yeah, thank you, uh, Professor, to continue the discussion, so I'll present again the Russian mainstream view of after the almost 100 years of horrible yoke under the or literally blood-sucking communists, we finally became an independent, free, democratic country. Uh, we take examples from our big brother, the United States of America, who literally helped to establish our first presidents and guided him along the way. So now we see that the country right near us has suffered an illegitimate coup where the rightfully elected president was expelled from the country. And what we are doing now is we are making sure that we can get rid of those pretenders. And we're just trying to install back a rightful president. I think the lesson was learned quite well.
0: But but going from there to what Charles's point was about about, about basically uh, Putin having more nefarious intent that might have an impact that we should be paying attention to.
5: Nefarious is a Western projection.
0: Okay, he, well. Even if he
5: does,
2: uh, and we don't know, uh, have such intentions, uh, it's, it, it remains irrelevant. And uh, there's nothing we can do about it uh, realistically. The United States isn't going to risk a war, it could, by, by accident, could turn even into a nuclear war. We're not going to. We shouldn't want to be playing around with stuff like that. And it, whatever, whatever's going on over there, we shouldn't care about that. We've got other. Uh, it sounds kind of harsh for the people in Ukraine, but uh, we shouldn't care about that. oh uh, we have to. Put our own house in order and do a lot, of, a lot of things, uh, starting at home, and, and they have to be done soon. And and that's all being neglected uh,
0: because of this. Charles, Jumbo. So
2: my point remains that it's, it's a, it's a kind of uh, yeah, a big diversion, diversionary movement. Uh, perhaps I'm, I'm uh, pushing that too far, but uh, there are the, all the urgent things that have to happen in the next decade are, are simply not happening. They're blocked in the Senate, they're blocked in, in Congress, uh, uh, voting rights reform, uh, the climate change, everything gets shut down. Uh, instead of fighting for those things, we're, we're worrying about what's going on half a world away uh, that we can't really do realistically <laughs> do anything about. And it's the same situation that would apply uh, to, say, in the eastern, uh, western Pacific, I guess. It's just from our point of from an American point of view, uh, Taiwan and all that. There's nothing we can do, whatever the Chinese decide to do, uh, there's nothing we can do about it. And it, it's it's tough. It's, it's ge- geopolitics, I think.
0: Uh, yeah, that's... Charles, is there something we can or should be doing?
5: I want to ask, how far does that go? So, Ukraine becomes the Czechoslovakia, forgive me, uh, of 1938. Mm-hmm. How about the Baltic states? The West does nothing. How yeah, about the you... St- Russia has a historic claim over most of that territory, too. Uh, there are Russian... Minorities, up to 40% of the population in places like Latvia and Estonia, who yeah, felt that there. their rights and have never been uh, accorded the respect legally that they, they should have been, and they would be restive and want to rejoin the motherland. So, and what,
2: what, 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 sorry Charles, what would you actually do about it? Would you intervene militarily in the Baltic states or in the Ukraine?
5: No, I think there are other options. The other no. options include the other options include mass civilian resistance training. If NATO wants to go in and fortify a population to resist forcefully an aggressor, there are time-honored uh, civilian resistance tactics that have been tried and tested in 47 plus countries around the world, starting with Gandhi. So, rather than NATO sending offensive weapons. Uh, to Ukraine, etc. It should train the population in civilian resistance to incursions or invasions. That's my proposal.
4: Is is NATO a vehicle to do that? Can it I'm, was. Can I, can I, it well, was. I, but no, but it's a military organization. It's it's basically it, it had that
6: component premises. in the nineteen
5: nineties. It was added briefly and then it was taken out.
1: Well I think uh, you have raised in passing uh, an important point about Russia's uh, stance in this whole question and region over the years. And um, I don't know how Yvonne will uh, react to this, uh, but the answer to the problem, and this is obviously just of historical interest, uh, was the continuation of the Soviet Union. Um, in the sense that um, you have what Russia has been involved in, the places that, that Charles mentioned, uh, Moldova, Georgia, where they have supported breakaway states that are not recognized, that essentially exist uh, on the basis of Russian identity, uh, ethnic Russian identity, um, that was not a problem in a multi-national uh, state. Um, And, you know, it gets to the question of Crimea, which, for example, which is widely um, cited as uh, an an example of Russian aggression. And, of course, when Crimea became part of Ukraine in 1954, that was as if uh, the state of uh, Kentucky got a piece of the state of Tennessee uh, at the time. They were parts of the same country. If one looks at the map, it's like a flip of a coin. Where does this piece belong to? And, you know, Russia, it seemed to me, uh, made itself, and I do not claim expertise in this, but made itself look ridiculous uh, when the plebiscite showed up 97% in favor of annexation to Russia, because everyone immediately thought of the old Soviet elections where, you know, Comrades, 99% have supported us, mm. et cetera. That was you know, how we looked mm. at it from the vantage point of the U.S. and it looked like uh, Russia had done it again. Now, there were, best of my knowledge, serious problems in the presentation of this plebiscite. It was done like that. Russian troops were on the ground. That's, That's not the way you hold a free and fair election. However, in terms of the actual outcome of it, uh, back in, uh, 19, in 2009-11, the U.N. Development Program held a series of uh, plebiscites, or, I'm sorry, polls. Um, and each, they did about six or eight of them, I forget exactly. And each time, approximately two-thirds of the population wanted to be in Russia while it was in Ukraine. And that basically equals the percentage of the Russian population. Right, so I think it was a bogus um, plebiscite. Uh, people, the the method that was done, not ideal, but the actual outcome was not different than most of the population uh, would have preferred. And the why I say the Soviet Union, you know, do a wrap on on this aspect. You, if you look at you the former Yugoslavia, it's quite clear what a disaster it was. To tear apart a multinational state, uh, you know, nothing more needs to be said about that. Uh, but in terms of the Soviet Union, it's not often thought about, and I think it's a piece of of the picture.
3: Uh, so yeah, I think you're very much right in terms of what the uh, Russian government is trying to continue doing. They're trying to get back the lands that were part of the Warsaw Pact or part of the Soviet Union because they feel that they have every right to do so. So uh, the problem there is a slightly, it's a very, very difficult, different debate on to whether the current Russia wants to, Russian government wants to imitate Mm. the Soviet Union or wants to destroy every memory of Soviet Union. And that's a discussion for very, very long time and it's very unclear. But. Coming back to what Professor Webel was saying about uh, resistance training in uh, Baltic states or in Ukraine, that would actually, if we assume that Putin is a very nefarious, malevolent, Machiavellian-level schema, training a population to resist would A, play into the the portrayal of the West look, they are preparing them for war, they are preparing to overthrow another government, thereby uh, giving more legitimacy. Like, not a uh, real but artificial legitimacy to Russian intervention, and B, it will actually encourage the nefarious Machiavellian Vladimir to try and control all of the states, not through the military intervention, but through the economic power or through the PR stance or doing pretty much the soft colonization, not through the military, but through other means. So, I don't think the resistance training would actually stop the expansion because, again, Russia having some sort of a historical sense of destiny, that we need to unify the region, and also having learned from the United States that you do need to subjugate pretty much everyone around you, that's what they will be doing for now. Charles, go ahead. What's the
5: alternative, Ivan, to keep them, in the case of the Baltic states and NATO, and therefore to defend them with the threat of nuclear war, should Russia, have incursions into any of them, or to do what those republics did 1990, 1991, which they themselves enacted massive civilian resistance, mass civilian disobedience to the then Soviet overlords, and they were the first to break away from the former Soviet Union. It was quite successful and it was bloodless. Would Machiavellian, uh, his nickname, Volodya, that's (laughs) how he introduced himself to me, uh, see that
3: as weakness or as strength. Let's, so uh, if we're speaking from the perspective of the nefarious Machiavelli and Volodya, then I don't—it's impossible to compare the, his grasp on the situation with the grasps uh, of uh, Gorbachev in 1990 or 1991. Those are two different people. Gorbachev is the person who is—if uh, you would do a poll in Russia, I'd say about two-thirds or three-fourths would say that he's a criminal who needs to be tried and put to jail. No, he lives in London, and that's a sign to majority of Russians that he is a traitor. And meanwhile, Putin, Volodya, has much higher support among the population. So these t- types of any kind of resistance training or anything done in the States would, I think, would be misinterpreted or abused in the media as actually giving cause for any form of intervention. If it will be impossible to do this militarily, which if Speaking from my perspective, I don't think Russia has the economic power to conquer any of them or even more hold on to them because the economy is not much better than the United States and we have very, very many problems. But the nefarious Putin will try to find a different way of trying to influence it and resistance on any involvement of the United States in European politics gives feeds the propaganda machine of nefarious McKevitt and Valoria that look, they are messing around in our backyard, we have to respond we just have to do it mm. Can, so, oh, sorry, and, I'm so, sorry no, 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 the, no. Last question is that the way to do it is actually to allow somehow the EU to stand on its own and as a counterweight to Russia, because, again, U.S. involvement in Europe feeds into this style of, look, Europe can't do anything by themselves, they're just uh, on a leash from the United States. They're one master and overlord.
0: Can I can I throw a thought in here, quickly, Claude? Take take Jerry Moran's concerns about what the United States is not doing in terms of dealing with our infrastructure problems and everything else that we should be focused on primarily. Totally agree. Take. Charles Webel's concepts, uh, at least offering a counterpoint of, hey, if the truly nefarious Putin is the one who's operating here, the United States really has some valid interest in this. Can those two things be dealt with? Can, can, can we chew gum and walk in the United States, politically and practically, both try to change what we're doing not so well infrastructure-wise ourselves, and— be concerned about Putin? The, the, the conversation up to this point sounds as almost as though it's sort of a 0 sumish thing, or we think it, would, it only happens in a zero-sum thing. Can those things be combined? Can the U.S. actually function rationally and in, invoke in those spheres simultaneously, the Jerry sphere, the, the Charles webb sphere?
1: Well, Charles's um, point or proposal as to what's a rational response for Ukrainians is well taken. I mean, unfortunately, these things are virtually otherworldly in in terms of their prospects. But hey, that is not, seriously, is not actually a criticism. Um, But that's not, I mean, the point that Yvonne is making, that is not a U.S. project. Uh, it the you the, the it, it, it's not an EU project in the sense either that that the that Ukraine is not a member and you know not our business um, it is not our business to be funding those things um, uh, in, in foreign countries just as we would say if we found out China was funding um a uh, no, uh, non-armed resistance force in this country what would we think about that we would rightly be outraged we I have to, you know it's always the presumption we've got to do it we have the right to do it i'm sorry bill go ahead
4: no i'm, I'm sorry I, I thought you were finished I, I mis misinterpreted i want to absolutely agree we just make it worse by getting involved we mm-hmm. fail to realize we can be the problem we are putting our you know jumping into things we don't fully understand i would i would venture to say outside of maybe this part of the state department that deals with ukraine very few americans know anything about what's really going on there um good point. we jump in as the outsider saying you can't do that but what was you know Remember, yeah, the the Cuban Missile Crisis, but God help the Russians, if they put missiles 90 miles from Florida, but we had missiles in Turkey that were a whole lot closer to the Soviet Union at that time. We have lots, you know, we, we, we are our own worst enemy, and I'm not sure how we politically make this transformation take place, but we have to stop and ask ourselves, what is realistic? And I think we would be better if we got our own house in order and lived up to our stated principles and ideals and became what Winthrop talked about at the very beginning of Massachusetts Bay, a light unto the nations. Here's a model of how you can do it the right way. Have equality, have full employment, have all the things than an ideal that are within our reach economically. We have the economic power to do almost anything in terms of equality and the distribution of wealth. We choose not to. Yeah. We choose I... to let people like Jeff Bezos run wild, and we, in the end, we shoot ourselves in the foot, and we make and we make everything we get involved in worse because we always think about going in as the big guy who's got more, the biggest army. I'll let Jerry.
2: Yeah, I, just maybe to sort of wrap up uh, at least from from my side. I I agree with what uh, Bill just said. Uh, uh, (laughs) We have to. uh, We can't do everything, and but we're sort of. It's the subject of a whole other forum, uh, Rich. If you want to contemplate that about why that is, what is the nature of the U.S. economic paradigm that's preventing us from addressing these problems, and. yeah and and seeking diversions uh, in foreign adventures uh that's a that's a whole other uh, can of worms uh but we can't get into that tonight well Uh, we we we, i think we we, we well
0: Uh, may get into it at some point but we're getting close thank you jerry for i know you're not looking at the uh you're not looking at my screens over here but we're getting close to the point we gotta have to wrap this up i'd like to throw this out and, and let you guys comment on this thought any way you want. You now have an open mic to the entire United States, 48 plus whatever, you know, in Hawaii and Alaska and everything else. And this is a country that's been exposed to, clearly, misinformation about Ukraine, misinformation about what Russia is or isn't doing right now, misinformation about what our role should or shouldn't be. And you've got A minute or two on air to talk to the whole damn country and say look guys can you understand that Ivan finish that sentence or finish that thought what would you say if you had if you had an open microphone to America how they should be viewing what is going on in Ukraine with Russia and Ukraine right now and America's position in it is there a way to wrap that up
3: kind of neatly I wonder I think uh, Tom Gallagher said it very nicely that the the same outrage that was felt when the Bay of Pigs, the Cuban Missile Crisis by the U.S. in relation to USSR, does the same as Russia feels with any kind of U.S. or NATO presence in Ukraine. In the end, though, I think the most important point is that it's not re- neither like, neither both russia and u.s are very similar i think uh, professor moran had said that united states should become the light for other nations unfortunately the current state is the light for russia so russia is literally doing the same as united states expand overseas expand to other countries take control over them, develop arms complex, deal in those arms, neglect problems at home, create economical divide, create unstable situation, worsen education standards, and so on. So in a sense, the America, as the United States as we know it now, that did become this example for Russia. And I think that's what Americans should understand. There is very little difference between average American and average Russian and average Ukrainian for that matter. Charles, a message to the country?
5: learn to tolerate differences, especially ideologies that are literally foreign, but not necessarily threatening. Russia and China have become the bit wild U.S. propaganda wars uh, for the last, since literally the Beijing Olympics of 2008 again. Mm-hmm. And you, if you want to, Heal your own economy and begin to overcome the divisions inside your own country. One way to start is by being open-minded and compromising with those with whom you think you profoundly disagree without knowing them. Get to know them and you'll find out you have a lot more in common than you thought.
0: Mm. Tom, uh, you want to expand on that?
1: Well, the, the world is on fire. Uh, I, you know, I exaggerate a little bit, but um, and we're pouring gasoline on it. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a time when global consciousness was something that happened when people took LSD. Um, <laughs> those days are well over. Put. Uh, the politics of uh, the beginning of the 20th century are flat earth politics. Flat Earth economics, you could just expand, expand, expand. We know everything comes around in a circle at this point. Uh, we need this country of all, with the greatest resources, as has been mentioned earlier, needs to get a grip on dealing with the global problem, which is not trying to pick an, a case uh, a part in every conflict in the globe. But keeping our eye on what needs to be done that everyone knows and has been said before is simply not being done.
4: Bill Mulligan? Well, I guess I'd echo what, what Tom said, or build on what Tom said, and then the others. I think we have to put our own house in order. We have to deal with our internal problems and stop being distracted by bogeymen and, and, and false um, false narratives of danger. The greatest danger to the United States in the long term is inequality, economic inequality, and racial inequality—that's what will destroy us. The Russians are not going to destroy us. The Chinese are not going to destroy us. We're going to destroy ourselves unless we got our house in order and create create real economic opportunity that leads to some level uh, of of comfort for all Americans. Not that you eliminate rich people completely, but you eliminate poor people entirely, mm. and that mm. we end <laughs> we end the serious gaps in racial opportunity uh, that still exists. And we stop pretending that we've achieved some ideal state where we don't need to pay attention to race and we can eliminate affirmative action. That's a blueprint for disaster. And I guess the last thing I would say is we need to have a forum on this too. We undo Citizens United, get big money out of politics politicians don't represent their constituents they represent the donor class and it's nothing clearer than if you watch what's going on in washington what gets attention and what gets put under the carpet politicians are chasing the money and until we stop that we're not going to fix the other problems that we have
0: jerry moran my fellow uh projects dweller from Back yeah, in the day, yeah. <laughs> boy, we've—it's—it's it's a long way off. I, you're—you're you're three thousand miles from there. I'm—I'm I'm about thirty miles. Every once in a while, I'll be honest with you, I actually yeah. go back down, and I've—you and I have talked to you about this, just to kind of yeah. remember and kind of, oh yeah, figure out what the base yeah. is and where it all began from. And boy, we've—we've we've moved a long way. Your thoughts on all this, please.
2: Well, I maybe I'll just end with a kind of—it's uh, not a fable. It's—it—it it's, it was in the Dutch news. Uh, Jeff Bezos, we all know know him, right? Uh, And uh, he's having a a super yacht built uh, by a a Dutch wharf, uh, Dutch specialized in luxury yachts, among other things, not only tulips, but, uh, and they're going to have to dismantle, partially dismantle a a historical monument, a a bridge, uh, a bridge that goes, an elevator bridge, I think it's a railroad bridge in Rotterdam, to let this yacht, when it finally is uh, led to water, wherever they call it, launched, uh, pass from the wharf, which is on an inland waterway, uh, to uh, the North Sea uh, and, and and eventually uh, across the Atlantic uh, to pick up Jeff, if he's not somewhere in outer space. Uh, by then. Uh, so or I, I would say, say Titanic, we have I
5: mean, just a to Titanic say, catastrophe. You have,
2: and it's, yes. <laughs> it's just absurd, the absurdity, uh, charity begins at home, we used to, we used to say. <laughs> we have to look, as everybody has said, we have to get things, get our act together and, and stop worrying about the rest of the world and, uh, and, and work for things like the Green New Deal, work for things like more equality, uh, for a, a sustainable uh, approach to the climate, another economic paradigm. And... Uh, but that's, like I said, the subject of another uh,
0: forum. I'm, okay, I'm, that's... I'm, I'm just <laughs> getting you. a strange thought about. I don't know. This is this is sort of like moving forward from some place that we all came. We we came from a place that was talking about deo patriae and stuff like that. And uh, and this is, I think, the natural extension of all that. If you allow yourself to think further enough and far enough, and in, 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 in what what truly looking out for country and looking out for the things that are bigger than country means in a practical way i think you guys have done a superb job in getting those points across um any other thoughts anyone am i um anyone want to wrap up a little bit more wrap up again we will have another uh forum on this jerry i appreciate you putting the thought out there And uh, I I think our next one around will really have to be about why does America think and act? the way America thinks and acts and I'm saying that in the most in the broadest terms I'm sure after this show is after we wrap this show and put it up we'll go back and forth oh. and this will be built out and we'll we'll decide on what the parameters of the uh, of the discussion might be but I think it's somewhere in that in that realm and I and I appreciate the thought Jerry I think that's where that's this should go well
4: the great danger I see emerging is this rash of book bannings um, there was actually a book burning in tennessee just last week literally literally a, a book burn a, a a independent fundamentalist christian minister burned harry potter and several yeah. other yeah. books that feature witchcraft and other things and there was a huge turnout a huge bonfire apparently someone with a lot more courage than i uh, threw a bible into the fire <laughs> oh and said, that's the real that's <laughs> the real problem. This is the real problem. I have, but, a, I have a humorous follow-up
0: to that. I'm not even did it explode? I mean, The other thing <laughs> that I saw on the internet today is
4: <laughs> Mouse, which is one of the books that they've been most attacking, which is a um, graphic novel on the internet. Sales have increased 1,700% um, in the last week since they began attacking it. In fact, I tried to order it online from from well, from of all places amazon it's the that's the best the quickest way to get things and there's like huge weights the book it's it's practically unavailable not because it's been banned but because so many people want to buy it and read it yeah <laughs> they, they it, can't keep
1: Bill, it it's down. their prurian it's their prurian interest they wish sure. to look at yeah. pictures yeah. Yeah. of yeah. naked <laughs> female mice <laughs> <laughs>
4: well that what goes on in kentucky <laughs> well then we're, we're in even more trouble than i thought <laughs>
0: <laughs> you have been listening to mm-hmm. a noble hearts jerry did you have a final i'm sorry did i no no i was saying it, it's 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 <laughs> uh, time to go it's uh, <laughs> <time> to go. <laughs> well and and since you bring it up mm. you've been listening to a noble hearts forum uh part of center left radio's uh efforts to get people with really good brains to talk about really important stuff I think as I say I will have to look back and see if this is the third or the fourth in the series that we've done Uh, I can assure you uh, that there'll be more of these uh, forums done and I can also assure you that if you listen to this once uh, you ought to go back and listen to it again there's been a lot of really thoughtful presentation of ideas and, 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 and a perspective that really transcends the limitations of American media these days about things Russian, Ukrainian, NATO-ish, and everything else at this point. Uh, thinking, critical thinking, uh, so important and, and, and such a delight to be able to host a forum like this where there's a, a hell of a lot of it going on. My thanks to Dr. Bill Mulligan to Dr. Charles Webble, to Dr. Jerry Moran to Dr. Tom Gallagher I'm not a doctor and to Ivan Sabala who is have are you almost, a, are you almost. Dr. Ivan? okay very close well you know I'm and, thank and I'm you sorry for the honorary
1: doctorate
4: <laughs> well, it would be well deserved you shouldn't you should I, yeah. it <laughs> so much I'm
0: I'm I'm just i I'm just a you know just a country JD over here what can I what can I say uh, but my thanks to you guys it's been a uh, it's been enlightening, it's been thoughtful, and it's been interesting, and I guess that's what media has to be in order for people to listen. Uh, certainly there's something to listen about, To uh, however, I think, I think I mixed several participles there. This is worth listening to, and I, and I appreciate it very much. Um, as we do at the conclusion of all these shows, uh, I suggest... Sitting back and thinking about it, and the way we tend to do that on center left radio, yes, you guessed it, is with a little jazz. <music> listening to a special Noble Hearts Forum edition of Center Left Radio. My name is Richard Gazer, and thank you for being part of our show today. Whatever your positions, whatever your preconceptions about Russia, Ukraine, the United States' conflict with them, the European positions, whatever you came into this show with, you're coming away with more knowledge, more perspective, a deeper understanding of of the forces at play. That's what these noble heart forms are all about and we'll continue to have them.